Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Eiton, here with Mr. Todd Atkins. What? And today we're joined by the friend of the podcast, Danny Franks. Danny is the Connections Pastor at the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. We asked him to join us today as we do a book breakdown of Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara. Danny, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks so much. Glad to be with you again. So the other thing you need to know about Danny Franks is he has about 60 sessions on Ministry Grid on First Impressions. So if you're looking for the premier training on First Impressions on your greeters, your hushers, that's right, I said hushers, because in my <laughs> as a child, that's what I called them because they made me be quiet. Sometimes they made me put on shoes. That's a whole other story. But the big thing is very scope and sequence. So there's training there for volunteers. There's a training pathway there for leaders. There's a training pathway if you're over that ministry, you're the director of that ministry for your church. And so just very thankful for, for him and his insight into mm. this. Uh, I, I think um, the first session that you would experience is theology starts in the parking lot. And so, man, just a pleasure to have you here. A pleasure to talk about a book that we both absolutely love, or we all three absolutely love, which is Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara. Talk to us just a little bit about that book, and then we'll get into the book breakdown today. Yeah. Well, first, can we can we go back to Ministry Grid and just say if there's one regret that I have, it's that I did not realize uh, the the timeliness of fashion uh, when we shot all those videos. And so my, my uh, man, my my Marty McFly style puffy vest uh, was was pretty cutting edge at that moment. Um, I, I look back on it with a lot of regret right now. So uh, yeah, if if we could like AI some new um, updated things, that would be really good. That's right. You know, this but, was original. Originally filmed in 1987. So yeah, no, it was filmed more recently than that. But you know, the the McFly vest it, it made a resurgence back, uh, you know, in, uh, a few years ago. And so I, I just needed to think through uh, styles and, and trends as we went. No, Todd, as you said, unreasonable hospitality. Man, out of all the books that I read in 2022, I believe it was was when that book came out. That one was the top uh, book of, of everything that I read. And, and if we're going to describe it, I think it's, you know, it's part autobiography. It's part how I built this, but it's also part of hospitality and, and leadership handbook. And so uh, for those of us who are, are in leadership or in the hospitality, first impressions, guest services, spaces, whatever, it is a masterclass on figuring out how we do these things better. Yes, from a uh, more of a marketplace perspective rather than a, than a church perspective, but I think we can learn and should learn from those places that are doing it really, really well. And, and Will, the author, is doing it exceptionally well and has done it well. Well, let, let's let's jump into uh, those quick hitters, because I think to help understand the book, if you haven't read it, is to know a little bit about the author and who the book was written for and some of those things. So, Todd or Dan, did you want to talk a little bit about who the author was? Yeah, I'm happy to. The author is Will Gadara, and I believe we are going to have him on the podcast pretty soon as well to walk through this book. So definitely look forward to that. But he is a restaurateur from New York. His restaurant at the time was 11 Madison Park and EMP. Uh, it was rated the number one restaurant in the world 
And so this book chronicles the journey between the time when they first took over to when they went to the world. Oh, I don't know what it would be called. I can't remember what the name of it was, but it's where the top 50 restaurants are gathered and they kind of go through the list of the top 50 and they were expecting to be, you know, maybe in the top 30 or something like that. And they were number 50. They were announced first. And so that just made something snap in them to become the best restaurant in the world. And this book chronicles that journey. Um, the interesting thing about it and why I think it relates to the church so well is because they really talk about, hey, you think up to this point, the restaurant was a restaurant was rated, a restaurant was chosen based on what happens in the kitchen. So it's all about mm -hmm. the chef. It's all about yep. the food. It's all about that presentation. It's all about the back of house. And so what he said is the way that we got to number one was, yes, we, we had that down pat, but they really focused on the service and what happened in the dining room versus what happened in the kitchen. And so that's, there's a lot that we can learn from that as churches in setting that table and setting that experience that, yes, it is about the experience of people um, receiving the service, but it's leading up to that and that whole experience, I think that matters. And that is why I'm really excited to walk through this book. Danny, what would you add to that? Yeah, I, I would. Uh, everything that you said is exactly right. And if, for people who are familiar with uh, Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table, Will was an employee of Danny, ended up uh, purchasing 11 Madison Park from him and from the Union Square Hospitality Group, uh, which is mostly, if we're honest, very, very high-end restaurants. But they also are the folks who gave us Steak and Shake. So that is something to, uh, I'm sorry, I just said Steak and Shake. A little bit Let's different. Shake Shack. Not Steak and Shake. <laughs> Shake Shack. Oh, my gosh. A very different experience. Um, so, uh, so so, if you know, you're not ready for the high end like I am, uh, you can go more our speed uh, with Shake Shack. Uh, one of the things I appreciated about Will, too, and, and we can maybe get into some of this stuff a little bit more later, but he had worked his way you know, in some of these high end restaurants, learning the front of house stuff. And then he got offers to do like the next bigger restaurant. And he turned that down to go and learn more of the business side of restaurants at kind of a larger group. Um, and so it was interesting to me to hear him kind of, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to take the next step that's going to get me higher and higher. And he took kind of a lower step but to what was really beneficial to him learning more of the business side to elevate his future restaurants moving forward. So let's, let's um, keep moving on. We know who the author is now, Will Gadara. Um, who was the book written for? Well, I, I'll jump in on that one. I, I, I'm going to say anybody that is in leadership is going to enjoy it. Uh, you know, as we've already said, it's a it's a really compelling story uh, in its own right of just the the journey that uh, Will and his team and the restaurant went on to uh, win the top award uh, in on the planet. But there's so much in there about uh, people development, uh, team building, goal setting. Mm -hmm. I think anybody who kind of gets jazzed about those concepts is going to enjoy the book, but very specifically anybody in the realm of hospitality in the local church, uh, there's no way that you can put this book down without uh, taking away some, some really strong leadership tools out of that. 
my answer to who the book would be written for comes from the author because he points out, at least in the U.S., our economy, three-fourths of our GDP is now in the service industry. And if you think that hasn't affected church, then you're sadly mistaken. I mean, you know, part of the church growth movement, I think, was a response to that shift in our economy. If you go back over 100 years, you have an agricultural-based economy, then you have an industrial economy. You know, now we have a service economy and, uh, you know, like Joe Pine would say, we're about to have an experience economy. And so it's really important for us to understand that in the context of the church and not necessarily change the way we do things because of the way culture has shifted, but understand that we need to be aware of where the culture has shifted and make adjustments accordingly, not to water down what we do if anything, to distill down what we do to serve better. So I would say that's, you know, for us, I think it's written for us from that perspective. There's so many things that we can apply to the church if we just kind of put that hat on and that lens on. And then for business leaders in general, it's a great book because no matter what industry you're in, service is ultimately important. We've seen the commoditization of almost everything. You see it daily because almost every listener receives a package on their doorstep daily, whether it's from Amazon or Walmart or somebody else. What that is, is the commoditization of everything. And that's where that's where we're moving toward. And some of us are already there. What are what are some of y'all's favorite quotes or just kind of ideas as he talked about this idea of unreasonable hospitality? Yeah, I mean, I think to build on what Todd just said, one of the earlier quotes in the book is is one of the ones I thought was so great that service is black and white, but hospitality is color. Um, mm-hmm. and he goes on to talk about black and white means like Amazon, uh, to use that example, you're doing your job with competence and efficiency. So you order something from Amazon, you get it in a couple of hours or a couple of days. But when you do your job in color, it means that you make people feel great about the job that you're doing for them. Them. You're doing it to make an authentic connection, which is hospitality. And so um, I, I think that's a really good way for church leaders to think about. We, we can get the technical proficiencies of our job down, but doing our job in color means that we're, we're making that connection along the way with people. It was interesting. One of the one of the quotes on the beginning of the book said that fads fade and cycle, but human desire to be taken care of never goes away. And, you know, just thinking about that from a church perspective, you know, there there are certain fads that come and go with the church world. um, But yet taking care of humans, you know, that's not going to go away and something that we need to continue to think about as we try to make people feel welcome and ready to worship the Lord coming into a Sunday service. But uh, I mean, this this book is filled with radical things that they would do at this restaurant to make people feel welcome. There was, I think it started with just, they would go out and pay people's like parking meters. And then it would slow, it slowly evolved into more and more things where they wouldn't even have a host stand anymore. They would, the host that would be there when the guests would come into the restaurant would research and Facebook stock and try and find these people that made a reservation so that when they came in the door, they were greeted by name and knew exactly where to go and where to bring them. Like things like that, that were just kind of crazy. You know, what were some of the other things that kind of stuck out to you guys through this book? There's some classic things that have been borrowed from other places and retold in a new way. That's really cool. Like 
Tell you, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning um, repetition is extremely important. And, you know, whether it's our vision and values, any of those things, it's super important. And you can't assume that somebody understands why we're doing it. So when you look at your vision and values, for an example, and you might say, uh, people matter to God and us, that's one of our values. And it comes back to Luke and here's the verse. And it's about not leaving the 99 and going after the one. Okay, that's great. So you think you understand it, you're familiar with it, but let me tell you what that actually looks like and how it goes into the way that we check in families to our, our children's ministry. You know, there's there's a, a certain thing that comes along with that that's really important. When I talked about the restaurant smart versus corporate smart earlier, one of the things that he learned was the aggregation of tiny improvements. And I do have a quote here that I'm trying to pull up. Intention means every decision from the most obvious, significant and significant to the seemingly mundane, all of them matter. So you guys have heard me say for years that a lot of leadership is is shifting from being intuitive to intentional. And that's where Mm -hmm. you get the gains. I think the reason why this book resonated with me so much is because of that level of intentionality and the intentionality went down into the mundane. And so the aggregation of of marginal gains or simple improvement in a lot of areas, the whole principle came from the idea if you broke down everything you could think of that goes into riding a bike, then improvement by 1%, you get significant increase when you put them all together. So maybe people don't notice every little detail that you do. But when you add all the all those things up, it, it does. And so whether you are reading this book or you're going back to like inside the the Magic Kingdom, uh, Michael Eisner book from like 15 years ago. I see you shaking your head. Similar, uh, similar Tom, thing. Tom Connellan, I think, is the uh, the author of that. Right? Is was that Connellan? I don't think so. I but mean, we can look. We can Google it and and see who wins. <laughs> Let me Google that for you. Okay. But uh, the point there was, you know, that was the book that, you know, Disney wrote about, you know, even the doorknob on the inside of the closet was special and different. They didn't need to do that. They did that detail because it mattered. It spoke to the people that worked there. It also spoke to the guests. And so this concept isn't necessarily new, but is told in a new way and told in a narrative form. That's why I like books like this, because they're friendly to for groups of people to be able to read and then say, oh, you know, let's talk about this quote or this principle. And it can be a catalytic catalytic conversation for how we treat people who are coming through the door. At the end of the day, what I plan on talking to Will Gadara about is the fine art of neighboring, which is a concept that we're familiar with in the church. You know, whether it's the gospel comes with a house key or whatever book you want to apply, there's a lot of things here that carry over. Jumping off of that, you know, Todd, you were talking about sitting down and and reading this book. Would you say, would you guys say that this book is one that you should just read a summary of, one that you should skim, one that you should actually sit down and read or listen to? What's your thoughts? I think some of that depends on how you want to approach it. Um, If you're approaching it as a story, um, and and as I said, it's a good, compelling story. You can certainly listen to it on Audible. But um, I I think everybody who starts to listen to it is going to like it so much. They're just going to go back and buy the hard copy or Kindle anyway and uh, dig in. So I would say it's a sit down. 
This is one that I did both. I did exactly what Danny just said. I started to listen to it and then I bought it because I knew the way that I consume books is if it's going to be a good book, then I'll go and and write in the front and in the back and, and have notes and dog ears and everything else. And my copy of this book is who knows where the cover is to the hard copy because yes, always get it. If you're going to get a book, get a hard copy. If it comes in hard copy, first of all, throw the jacket away, just commit. But yeah, that's what, if you saw my book, it looks, it looks pretty, uh, pretty beat up because I, I mean, I did it twice. I read it twice and I don't do that very often. Uh, as listeners, frequent listeners know, I don't make it through most books, but I made it through this one. I will say toward the end of the book, it does start to taper and you're just like, okay, when are you going to get to the end? <laughs> but I'm telling you, the first two thirds are, are gold. And then the last little bit. Yeah. I probably won't do that when the author is on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I actually started to listen to this and then got the Kindle. Like, I think the first couple pages, you're like, oh, this is going to be a really good, interesting listen. And then I was surprised, um, you said this earlier, how many like leadership moments and quotes and stuff are in this that I think could be applied to the church. So uh, I definitely think it's probably worth read for sure. Personally, lately I've been, I've listened to more books. Part of that is because I'm commuting again. (laughs) Part of it is because the different types of books. Now I won't listen to like a 12 week work year kind of book or, you know, something that is going to have charts and principles and, and, um, examples of things that I, I really need to see, to understand, but a book that is in a narrative form like this, I would usually say is a, is a listen, but you know, this one, I would say, by the way, if you read Beth Moore's biography, you should listen to it because there's something special when an author tells their story. So Will Gadara reads this book. Beth reads her book, of course. And so it's really, for me, I really like to hear the author. And so that's one of the reasons, too, that I've, I've kind of switched. So how would you guys say that this book is applicable to the church? Uh, I would say being being a local church guy, my my primary role is built around creating this culture that takes outsiders and makes them insiders. Now, that can be, you know, a first time guest who's showing up at our church, knowing nobody around them, or that can be a, a decades long member who's just trying to crack the code on how to you know, get into a new expression of utilizing their gifts for ministry. Um, But all of that, and we've already used this word, all of that comes down to our intentionality in the process. Um, And and to, you know, point back to what Todd said and to use a quote by the author again, is that that intention means every decision matters. Um, And and a lot of times I think that we we go in with a lot of good, uh, a, a lot of good, you know, meaning and motivation behind what it is that we're trying to do, but we don't really ever cross the line into that, uh, into being very intentional, purposeful, uh, having a clear purpose, desired result, you know, all, all of those, 
all of those kind of things. I would say too, the, you know, the subtitle of the book is the remarkable power of giving people more than they expect. And I, I think a lot of times, especially in the in the climate that we're in, too many people have too few expectations for mm-hmm. churches, um, and they just kind of show up expecting to be disappointed if they show up at at all. Um, and, and so, you know, my my thought process is, and in this. You know, the book just reinforces this. What if we could flip that? Um, and what if we could be a place that delivers more than what people actually expect to get out of the, the relationship uh, with with a church, with our staff, with our people, whatever it is? I'm struck by the number of times that scripture points out hospitality. We all know that it was important to the culture of the new testament that you know a hospitality was was important but i think there's it goes beyond that to say hey beyond the zitzenleben it's mentioned enough that it's it's important and there's a lot of times that it's mentioned when we think about leadership you know titus be hospitable a lover of good self-controlled upright holy and disciplined it starts off with hospitable and that says about uh, a lot about how you lead it's not just you know there's specific verses on hospitality, of course, um, show hospitality uh, without grumbling, things like that. But I would say that we often neglect that it's actually in, you know, some of these lists of what we should be, you know. And, and so obviously, I think that starts with individuals and ultimately affects the culture. So I think Part of what you could apply from this is how do I embed this in the culture? Well, if you look at this book from that perspective and say, oh, even if I was just agnostically looking at how does one affect culture, you could look at this book as a really good roadmap because of how they took that restaurant from what it was to what it became. And, you know, what we're it's it's. We're looking at a seven year, I think it was a seven year process and, and we can, you know, read it all at once in a book. So it's important to take that step out and look at, you know, the story, the narrative and to see the tweaks that they made along the way and what they learned and perhaps how we can apply those things in our own context. That's where I'd say it's very applicable because some of the things that are there were super important. Like the 95, five rule mm-hmm. is about saying, Hey, yes, we, I am, uh, really focused on getting all I can out of the 95% of my budget. So that 5% of my budget, I can splurge on being, you know, over the top hospitable with guests. A lot of times that doesn't mean spending money. A lot of times that just means spending time or being really insightful. It's not necessarily about the financial cost of something because, you know, one of the the points that came out in the book was there was a story about a $2 hot dog and there were a group of friends that were there and he names the fancy restaurants that these people had went to. He overhears them talking about everything and they're, they're reliving the glory of eating at these, you know, other three different places. And now they're at EMP 11 Madison park. And one of the guy comments, yeah, the only thing that we didn't get was a New York city hot dog. And so Will Gadara hears overhears this and you know walks back to the kitchen and then sprints out around the back, goes and buys 
a hot dog from a street vendor. Now, keep in mind, this is a extremely, extremely posh restaurant. He comes back in and has to convince his chef to give these people this hot dog out of their kitchen. That's, I mean, that's unheard of. So, you know, he cuts it up, he slices it up and, you know, puts a swoosh of mustard and ketchup to like, you know, fancy it up a little bit just because Will had said, hey, this is important to me. Like, I want to do this. And so they go out and they give those people that hot dog. And he said, you know, I've never in, I've served thousands of meals that cost thousands of dollars. And this was the best return I've ever seen on that, you know, being intentional with an experience. Like they went nuts. They just lost it. And then, you know, of course they're telling their friends and this is a story that becomes part of the lore and legend that is 11 Madison Park internally and externally, guys. That's why I say this is so important to think about your values, because I don't know whether or not you really understand our values unless you can tell a really good story that goes with it. So people matter to God and us. You know, here's the scripture reference and here's this biblical story about it. OK, I want every ministry in our church but especially our first impressions ministry to be able to tell stories about what that looks like. And it doesn't have to be, you know, we gave them this exceptional gift and they were really impressed by this gift that we gave them. No, it's really more about the intentionality and having the margin to be able to do that when the time comes. So that's, you know, that would be my example. Yeah. And, and Todd, if I could, if I could play off of that, I I think we, you know, we obviously want to be explicitly careful there because, you know, my, my own core philosophy of church hospitality is not just that we do cool stuff to impress people and make much of ourselves. Like biblical hospitality, yes, it's a clear command from Scripture, but it's not supposed to point to itself. Um, it's got to point beyond itself as a signpost straight to the gospel. And, and so we can't get that wrong. But um, to your point, if we are con- continually failing in the implicit or explicit promises that we make to people and we're not even measuring up to their low expectations for us, we might not ever get a chance to point them to the gospel because, you know, people we can't keep are people we can't evangelize, people we can't disciple, people we can't send. So so we've got to be able to build that trust uh, with people by delivering on more than what they expect. Yeah, I think my answer to this question about how it's applicable to leadership at at a church level is along those same lines of just like uh, a lot of this book is talking about how he had to train the culture of the staff members and what he had to do to to get them up and running and how everybody, both kitchen and front of house, had to be all on the same page. I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn about from the church. And also just from my former hat as an executive pastor, I would be nervous to give this book to my lead pastor of like, what is he going to come up with? Or, you know, somebody like Danny who runs that area of the church. Um, but I think going back to what Todd, you were saying earlier about the the rule of uh, 95.5 of, you know, managing the 95% down to the last penny, but then spending the last 5% foolishly. I think there's some constraints in there that, you know, need to be 
taken consideration of. And, you know, I think just as a senior pastor or somebody else that gets excited and spun up about a book like this, there's ways to do this successfully in the church where you're not, you know, spending thousands of dollars on when your budget's only a couple grand and you're going to spend half of it on, you know, unreasonable hospitality. That's what worries the executive pastor. But I think in this book, it kind of shows you good ways to do that and make that work. And, and like Todd said, like, you know, that doesn't need to be money. It could be the hot dog experience, but that's going to be really meaningful to guests at your church. Yeah, it, it, it can be something else, but you have to have the margin to be able to do that. So if that re- means recruiting additional volunteers so that you can have volunteers that are specifically focused on, you know, elevating that experience of the new person versus the person who's just coming up to ask information or whatever it is like we have the opportunity to go into greater specialization of our volunteers than just what we typically think of as a first impressions ministry. And if we're doing a good job of helping people live out and, and use their gifts and service to Christ, then we should have plenty of people in order to do that. And just part of it is, you know, giving them, giving them uh, the vision for having this type of experience. And then I would say when you're successful, it's just like evangelism. Some of the best evangelists are people who've just recently come to Christ. Mm-hmm. Some of the best people to serve in your first impressions ministry are going to people that have be people that have come within the last year mm-hmm. and had that really good experience because if they've been to other places and they were just blown away, um, then they're the they're the people that you want to um, be your your first line out there, um, really bringing in people through that process. You know, we would always say, "Take, don't tell." Um, and so, I, I think you have a, a tremendous opportunity to do that. A question for you guys is: What are things that people should ignore from this book? What can we ignore from a church perspective? You know, I think one of the things that's pretty obvious is that this is going to be a book that's going to make some people angry uh, as soon as they pick it up, just the concept of it, because it's the story of a ridiculously high-end restaurant that none of us and probably very few of the listeners to this podcast will ever actually dine in. I mean, I would spend more on a single meal at EMP than uh, our family spends on groceries in a month. And, you know... for me, uh, as a Deep South kid, it doesn't have pictures on the menu. You can't order by a combo number. So that automatically kind of knocks me out, right? But that said, if anybody's looking for gift card ideas, I can share my email and uh, would be glad to go on somebody else's time. But, but that doesn't mean just because it's an extraordinarily expensive restaurant doesn't mean that we can't appreciate the heart behind the meal. And whether you're talking about 11 Madison Park or Chick-fil-A, the reason that people flock to companies like those is not as much because of the food, but because of the care and the experience and the intentionality behind the the food. I was also going to say, I think one of the interesting things that a church could ignore in this book is the level of competition that they had and how they ranked and compared themselves with other restaurants and and always trying to be the the very, very best. I mean, I think we should try to be, you know, providing good you know, opportunities and hospitality and all those things for, for those in our churches. But I think so often in today's culture, churches love to compare themselves with other churches and love to have the secret and all those sorts of things. Um, that's probably not healthy for us long-term to be doing, but, you know, keeping focus on the kingdom as opposed to what, you know, other churches might be doing better than us. All right. So 
Last question. Is there anything this week that you think somebody could do in light of this book? One of uh, my favorite stories from this book is about the policy police. So you all know I hate policies and want as few as possible because most policies were put in place because somebody made a poor decision. And so we want to make sure that never happens again. So what do we do? We create a policy to make everybody else's life more difficult and uh, force decisions to come through some central hub. That's a whole other podcast for a whole other day. But the beautiful thing about the policy police was he tells a story. Now, this guy is like the grand poobah of the restaurant. He goes over and is serving a table, having a conversation with them, and he leans on the table and a veteran quickly comes over to him and says, we don't do that here. Now, this is he's like probably, you know, three levels up from this guy. And this guy is so disturbed by what he has just seen. He just says, we do not do that here. And his response is, why? And the guy says, I don't know, but we don't do that. <laughs> like, he doesn't know why we don't do that. He just knows this is a formal restaurant and this is the way things go. This is not how you serve here. You don't engage the guests in this way, in such a familiar way. And so that was ultimately one of the things that they changed. But then, you know, he, he kind of was started looking for policies that they should change. So I would say... Look for both written policies and unwritten policies that don't make sense. What is biblical, effective and efficient? And but, you know, somebody says, no, we can't do that. Like that needs to, you know, we want to we don't want to sacrifice what is biblical, effective and efficient on the altar of tradition or we don't do that here, especially when it can glorify God and make somebody feel welcome to, to him and our community. So that's what, that was my biggest one there that I would be like, that's one thing you can do this week. Go look for some policies to kill. Yeah. I, I would say the my one thing would be uh, using one of the quotes, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And we found mm. over and over that precision in the smallest of details translated to precision in the bigger ones. So uh, my one thing would be just to pick one single thing in your ministry or your leadership, just one. You don't have to overhaul everything uh, because if you do that, you're going to frustrate your team and you're going to exhaust yourself. You don't have to you know, pull some principles from the book and apply it as law and gospel in your local context, but you, you just kind of pick that one thing and, and tug on a few threads and figure out where is your precision off? Where can you improve? And when you start there, I think you'll find it translates to so many other things in your leadership. That's good. Well, Danny, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and helping us break down this book. Um, and thank you for listening. Uh, we hope that this has been helpful for you and your leadership. And if it has, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast to help other leaders find us. Thanks again. Thank you.